0: About today than I am going to be able to have time to do. It bothers me when I get on Sundays like that. And I go through this week and I plan what I'm going to say, and the more I think about it, the more I have to say. And so then I have to start trimming out what I don't have time for. So I'm going to start off with something that's not even in my message this morning. <laughs> Just to show you how carefully I planned it all out, <laughs> I don't have a note on this, and that's not a part of my preaching today. But I'm just going to tell you one thing to you: Have you ever been? Have you ever taken offense at something that somebody has said or done towards you or about you or that affected you? I'm not asking you to raise your hands on this, and no, 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 you don't have to do that. Because I know everybody knew if you told the truth, I don't want to make anybody tell a lie today. And I know if you told the truth, every one of you would raise your hands. Yes, I have. At some time or other, I have. Somebody has offended me. I didn't like what they said. I didn't like what they did. I didn't like the way they acted. didn't like what I heard they said. But somewhere I knew I didn't like it. And so I got offended. And I decided at that point that I would be offended at everybody. I decided I would blame it on all of this family. And most of all, I decided I'd blame it on the church because if anything happens, it's the church's fault. If anything happens to anybody in the church, any member of the church, any person that comes to the church, and they do anything that maybe is a little bit questionable or out of line, then who could be at fault besides the church? Let's blame it on the church. But the truth of the matter is, anybody who is offended has only one person to blame. That's not the person that said anything, not the person that did anything, not the person that talked out of line. The person who's blamed, and I know you're not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The person who takes offense, if there's any blame to be passed out, the person who takes the offense is the one to be blamed. I said, the person who, I don't expect big loud amens on this. Thank you for whoever said that. The one who takes offense at what has happened, said or done, is the one who is to blame. Amen, Pastor. You said it exactly right. It's true. You know, there's nobody, there's nobody who can do anything about the offense that you have taken. I wish I could tell you differently. All these years, I've only learned it one way. And it's always been my experience. The only one who can help it, the only one who can change it, the only one who can do anything about taking offense is the one who took the offense. It's you. Sometimes me. Always you, but sometimes. (laughs) But you know. You know. The person who caused the offense, maybe sometimes does not even know he did it. But if he did, the very fact that he caused the offense indicates to you he's not the one who's going to come back and make it right. If you want to make it right, you've got two things to do. Say nothing about it, forget it, pray about it, and ask God to help you forgive it, and go on and move on, and that's it. Or go to the person to clear it up and make it right, and speak in a spiritual way to make that happen. Does that make sense? It should because it's exactly the right way to do it. It's the only way to do it. If you were in the, if you have taken offense, if you're right now sitting right here and you're offended at somebody who said something, did something, acted some way, you didn't like the way they dressed when they came into your presence, you didn't like what they said about whoever. I started naming some names, but there's so many of them, like the president, the vice president, the senators. You didn't like something they said about that. You took offense at it. They don't even know that. There's nobody who can correct that but you. And do you know one thing? This is one thing I can tell you for sure. When you are offended, when you're living in offense, your spiritual victory sap, so it 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 just drains right on out of you. And the only way to overcome it is to solve the issue. I hope that you, and I know you know some people are offended, I hope you'll send them a message, even just share this message on the recording on our website, and and send word to somebody that they should listen to this message. Then you won't have to tell them. You can blame it on me. And they become offended at me and I, but they'll know you sent it to them, so you'll be included and they'll be offended at both of us. Let's spread it around. Yeah. Okay. Now, that was all extra. Be sure to get it on the recording, even though it was extra. I don't want anybody to miss that. But here's my message this morning. Three plans for your life. It seems like one will be enough, doesn't it? And really, it should be. But there actually are three plans that have been laid out for your life. The reason there are three of them is because there are three who are working to decide what your life will be. At least three. You have to make a decision which plan for your life you're going to accept. And some of you will say, well, Pastor, I'm so far along in life right now, why would I be thinking about a plan for my life? How about a plan for the rest of your life? Because most of us need to know what the plan is that we're going to follow for the rest of our life. It may be that the rest of your life you know surely is going to be shorter than what you lived up to now. Or it may be that you're just beginning in the early stages of life. And you want to be absolutely sure that you decide on the right plan. Either way, you need to know what's available in your choices. And you need to know that you're making the right choices. Here are the plans. These are the three plans for your life. You have a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. I can show you in the scriptures how absolutely true that is. If you take one example of the Apostle Paul, you'll make it very, very clear that no matter where you are, what you've done, what your place or station is in life at this current time, God has a plan for your life for the rest of your time that you live in this world. God has a plan for your life. And I have to tell you, because I wouldn't give you a complete message if I didn't, Satan has a plan for your life. You've got to decide what plan you're going to accept as the plan you'll live by. And then apply yourself to succeed totally in the plan that you've decided that you'll live by. Your plan... Is not the most important plan. I know that's one of the hardest things for us to hear. Your plan is decide what you decided you wanted to do, if it's not in accord with God's plan. Your plan, singularly standing alone, is not the plan you need to follow. A lot of people get in trouble and they live in trouble for years because they take their own plan instead of God's plan. The first thing you want to know is, well, how can tell the difference and I'm going to tell you first of all you have to decide in the very beginning of your decision making process that you will not try to make your plan God's plan. Well this is what I want to do, this is what I've decided to do this is who I'm going to marry, this is where I'm going to live, this is what I'm going to do my occupation. Oh yeah by the way God is that all right with you? You can't try to make your plan for your life God's plan. Because God has a plan. And what you need to do is try to be sure that you make God's plan your plan. That you accept God's plan as the right plan for your life. This certainly applies strongly and in, in, in a more direct positive way to younger people. I certainly know that. But there are some of you young people sitting here today. You've already decided You don't care anything about God's plan. You're not trying to find out what it is. You're living contrary to even knowing what it is, being able to discover it. You're not even walking in a way that will enable God to reveal His plan to you. Sometime in your life it may happen. But the best time to find out what God's plan for you is the earliest point in your life that you can discover it. Because God's plan always produces a better result than anything you can even imagine for yourself. God's plan is always the right plan, always the best plan. But you have to make sure that you're not just following your plan. I'm so hesitant to say this because it's so easily to get misunderstood. Because I think God makes a lot of adaptions and and adaptations and... and, uh, and changes and, and, uh, and, and, and considers our weakness when he looks at matching us up with his plan for us. But when you decide to follow your plan, you may wind up in the wrong place in your life. You may find yourself living in the wrong place. You may find yourself in the wrong church. You may find yourself with the wrong husband or wife. You may find yourself with the wrong, a lot of things being wrong. When you decide that it's your plan, you're going to follow. Just because you're offered a promotion at your job doesn't mean you ought to take it. Just because you got a place that's a nice buy on a house doesn't mean that's when you ought to buy. Just because you found went into a church and you met somebody that you liked that was nice to you and friendly to you doesn't mean that that's the church you ought to go to. What you need is God's plan, not your own plan. I learned this. I learned this early in life. I won't, I won't say that I've always found myself pleased and satisfied with it, but this is what I have found about following God's plan instead of my own plan. I found that when I tried to follow my own plan, I usually came to a place that was disturbing, distressing, burdening, and harmful to me. Only way I could correct that was adjusting myself to God's plan and staying where God put me as long as he put me there, and never leaving until God told me to leave. I can tell you two distinct times in my life when I begged and pleaded with God to turn me loose from what I've connected myself to. I thought God was connecting me to it, and maybe he did. But it was a terrible trial to go through, and going through the trial, I begged and pleaded with God to release me, release me from this. Lord, turn me loose. I've done what I can do, the best I can do. I need to move on. But in both instances, when God told me to stay, and I stayed only because God told me to do, to do it, And this is what I found, parenthetically. I found that when God tells you to go somewhere, he expects you to stay until he tells you in the same way he told you to go, to get up and leave. When God tells you to go somewhere, and you go, he expects you to stay there. Come difficulty or ease. Come storm or fair weather. Come hardship or simplicity. When God's put you somewhere, He expects you to stay where He puts you until He says to you, in the same way He told you to go there, now it's time for you to get up and leave. If you don't do that, you'll be out of the will of God. And it won't be when you get out of the will of God, you suddenly, before you drive off the church property, you're going to have a great accident. But when you get home, there's going to be a stick of dynamite at your front door. It's going to blow up. That's not what happens. Life goes on. But the difficulties increase and and the complexities get more involved. And you find yourself less happy, less satisfied, less content. And it's all because you still don't know it or understand it maybe, but it's all because you got up and moved out of the will of God. And when you move out of the will of God, my friend, you are moving into a dangerous place. How will you know you're in the will of God? The Bible tells us we can know. We stay surrendered to Him. We do as He leads us to do, as He speaks to us about doing. And when God speaks to us about doing something, that's what we do. And we don't do anything about the situation we don't like until God moves us out of it instead of moving it out of us ourselves. job tomorrow. I don't care if I've got another one to go to or not. I just can't put up with it anymore. I can't handle it. I can't tolerate it. When this week, I'm going tomorrow. Well, if not tomorrow, when this week's over, I'm going to get up. By Monday morning, I'm going to be gone. I know a few pastors that have approached churches that way. (laughs) They used to say that Monday was the pastor resignation day. I've never experienced that being that sincerely. I've never experienced that. I've never had that feeling, but I know a lot of pastors that have, and I know a lot of pastors that talk to me about, what can I do? What can I do about this? But what you can do is do God's will. And God, when you do God's will, work it out. It may not be the way that pleases you most of all to start with, but it will be God's will, and God's will will always bring you the victory. So, I'm, I'm a little bit far from my outline. I can't see it from here. So, but there was a time in my life, I I knew God had called me into this. But it, 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 every in the passing of time, day by day, it became more burdensome. It was complicated by during that period of time, I became very ill when I have told you about the illness that I had that God really brought me through. And when God brought me through that illness, I thought he'd take me out of that place he had called me to be, but he didn't. He told me to stay there. And I said, wait a minute, I, I thought I was misunderstanding God when he told me to stay there because I didn't like it, didn't want to be there, had changed my mind about it all. I was ready to throw up my hands and quit. And I told the Lord, if I can find anywhere to go that I can continue in ministry, I will leave here. And so God made it sure of one simple. This is what God did. When I told God that if I could find anywhere to go, all these superintendents that I know, i call them about a church. These pastors I know, I'm gonna come see in church open that I may be able to go to. And when I do, Lord, I'll be gone. And so what God did was He just shut every door. He just made sure nobody wanted me. I, I mean, I'd never been in that place in my life. I'd always been had people come and ask me if I'd come pastor their church. Would I consider coming? And, and, and view it and talk to about and consider coming. And now I'm in the place I want somewhere to go. It doesn't have to be a great place, just any place, to get me out of where I am. And everybody I call that like, didn't know me. Who? Who'd you say, oh, I'll have to talk to you later. <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to hardly even listen to me. So finally, and finally, every day and then finally, I will get it. I will finally get it. God hits me right here enough times, I'll say, wait a minute, I must must not be listening. So I went, I remember it so well, in a family room before a sofa. I went down, and i knelt on my knees to God, and said, God, you know how I want to be out here. You know how I want to be out here. I've tried here, and I've tried there, and I've tried, and I'm not going to leave a ministry, Lord. I'm in a ministry, I'm not going to leave it. I don't know what else to do other than to stay till you set me free. And I felt such a relief. So then I said, Lord, I'm going to do this. And I told him the things I was going to do. That would bless. It wasn't things that I was rebellious about. It was things that I was to cooperate with him. So a television minister. And I said, Lord, anybody that wants to be on television, I to glorify your name. I'll put them on regardless of the cost. I'll do this. I'll make this, this, this commitment. And I said, and I'll be here as long as you want me here. And I was there as long as God wanted me. It lasted about another three years. And then God opened a door that was above and beyond anything I would have ever expected, would have ever imagined could have happened. And God just in a, in a mighty, marvelous way came and and, and, and poured out, poured out like cloudbursts of blessings on me and really, really, such a great, marvelous thing. It was it was beyond anything I had ever asked God to do. But I don't believe that would have happened. In fact, I know it would not have happened if when I was saying, Lord, I'll be gone by Friday. If not Friday, I'll be leaving on Monday. As soon as I can pack up and load up, I'm heading somewhere. Where I was saying all those things. I want to get out of here no matter what. And God told me to stay. And when finally I came to the place that I said, all right, Lord, all right, all right. I get it i never talk to God like that. But. Okay, I okay, Lord, I finally got, no, I can't go anywhere else. No, I can't find an opening anywhere. I will stay. But then when I said I will stay, I knew God had done something. I told God the confirms of which I would stay. It was perfectly acceptable Him. He didn't challenge anything. I said, just stay where I want you. And he kept me there, and then God poured out his blessings in such a fabulous way. It's beyond almost description. There's no need for me to tell you about that. In any detail, just tell you that that's what God does. When you let your plan, the plan that you want to put into effect for yourself, when you let your plan, your plan be submitted and absorbed into the plan of God, and let it be God's plan that prevails. Because you see, working in all of this that's going on is Satan who has a plan for your life too. And what he wants you to do It's a step out of the will of God. Where the favor of God's canopy of blessing will not be over you. You pull yourself out from under the covering of the blessing of God. That's where he wants you to be. And he will bring you there because he's a thief, he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a murderer, he's everything evil because he is evil. And he will lead you into everything that is against the plan of God. That you will follow him into. And when he does that, he will do it it usually with you by deceit. It isn't by accident that we're warned in the scripture. That Satan often is present looking like an angel of light. In disguise. Because that's nothing like who he is. But he will make his plan Look good. He'll make his plan look favorable, and you will think, "Oh, oh! If I just do this, though, no, it doesn't seem quite right. Doesn't seem quite like it's blessed of God. But maybe I'm just misunderstanding it. It seems so good. I'll go and try this. You will wind. you will. When you do that, you will wind up in the wrong place. You'll wind up in the wrong position. You'll wind up with the wrong person or the wrong people. You'll wind up doing the wrong things. You'll wind up where you never wanted to be. And if you escape from that by the deliverance of God, you'll say, Oh God, help me, I never want to be there again. Because he will lead you only into destruction. I'm going to preach on this first Sunday of August on the message that I've Delivered here two times over the eight years of being here. I'm going to tell once more about the vision that God gave me on a Saturday morning as I was waiting before Him and the Lord left. And, and some of you, probably most of you, have heard it. Many of you have not heard it. I'm going to tell that vision again. I, and I bring it up now because there's a part of it that shows very clearly and showed to me very clearly the deception of the enemy. When I was walking up the steps, Take a little excerpt of that vision. I was walking up the steps, going to a great, beautiful palace where the music was glorious and wonderful and, and it was victorious and there was just a place that anybody would want to be. And as I walked up there to go in, there's a man dressed so nicely, dressed about as nicely as I am this morning. He just he was as sharp as could be. He just <laughs> he said, Go, hello, welcome, come come on in. And I, I said, I've come up here to go inside the palace where all that music's going on. He's a that's just sound. It's just, you don't want to go in there. I said, "Oh, well, that's what I came up here for. I climbed up all this mountain so I could go there. Well, he said, yeah, that sound is deceiving. When you get in there, you'll find there's nothing but just noise. and It's not where you want to be. It's not where you want to go. I said, well, I really think I do. And as I insisted that I wanted to go in there, and he was blocking my way. Suddenly, instead of being dressed so nicely and so sharply and so cavalierly and so gentlemanly, all of a sudden he started to change And what I saw was an ogre, a horror, grotesque in its appearance. And I realized that Satan had been trying to deceive me, dressed as a gentleman, to make me think he was other than who he was. And then when I really saw him, I knew that he was the one trying to block my way into the presence and power and victory of the place that God has chosen. And that's what the devil will do. He will make you think he's someone that he is not. There are all kinds of people who can be used to bring the message of Satan. To deliver the message of the enemy to your life. And you've got to be able to discern it, to spiritually recognize it, so that you can spiritually combat it. Or you will find yourself not in the place of victory, but in the place of defeat. I show you this by what Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon Peter had made a declaration to Jesus. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And others were saying many things. But Simon Peter spoke up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. It's a spiritual revelation. And so Peter was, oh, that's great. Look what I did. Oh, look what God did for me. Oh, I'm above all the rest of these guys here. Oh, i sure am glad I said that. And then Jesus was going to the cross and Simon Peter stopped up to stop him and rebuke him. No, no, not so, Lord. We're not going to let this happen We're going to defend you. We're not going to let this happen. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. For you are interested in the things that are men, of men, and not the things of God. You aren't seeing this in the right perspective. From one to the other, I am saying this to you as a warning. As a warning. You have to know. You're speaking, you're speaking the words that God honors. The words that are pleasing to God. When you're thinking and planning what you're going to do, you need to make sure that that's what God is pleased with. That God can put into effect His plan for you. And the only way, regardless of the man who wrote me about my column and said it's not true that God has blessings for our lives, but look at all the troubles we've had. By the way, I didn't. I, I decided not to share this. Sorry, I wanted to share this right now because he really got, he really gave me a cause to be really offended at him. First of all, I didn't like what I wrote, and that's not very good. <laughs> I could put up with that though. The end of his the end of his letter, which I didn't mention, but the very end of his letter said, "I suppose this is why the word ASS is in the name of your church." But I didn't like that. Even when after that he said, "Have a good day," I still didn't like it. So you know, I tore up his letter and threw it in the wind, stomped on it. God, sit. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Honestly, honestly, I didn't. I took his letter out of my hand and I said, "God, help this man. Help this man, oh God. He suffered. His wife has suffered. God, help them. Do something special for them." More. And I laid his letter down and I've kept, I've still got that letter. About three times since then, I've picked it up and said, God bless this man and his wife. Help them, oh God. Why would I get offended if somebody saying something like that? Well, this is what you always have to do. You say, well, why would I let somebody else's ignorance offend me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They said that my nose was red and had a bump on it, but I didn't check the mirror before I left. Maybe it did, but. Even so, I'm still going to pray for them and bless them and not going to let anything be laid to their charge. Place no blame. Okay, that's just extra. Since I didn't tell you before. So Simon Peter, as one more time, he just spoke. First he spoke, showing you that you can speak the words of God. But then when you try to thwart God's plan, he will put you in your place. Let you know. You're speaking against and working against the plan of God. I will tell you, in my experience, the greatest place that I can ever be is not, the greatest place, no, the greatest place, as much as I love some places, the greatest place for me to ever be is not in Fleming Island. Not at First Assembly. The greatest place I can ever be is not in <laughs> New York City at Christmas time. I say that because I love to go there at Christmas time. Only at Christmas time. <laughs> The greatest place I can be is not somewhere out on the beach. Just letting myself get 10 and enjoying it, doing nothing. The greatest place that I can ever be, and it's the same for you, the greatest place we can ever be is in God's will. There's no place better for you, no matter what the signs around you may be, there's no place better for you to be, no place better you can be than in the will of God. If you're supposed to be in this church, well, if you were supposed to be not here, you wouldn't be here, would you? But if you are supposed to be in this church, you're not to be for whoever this may apply to. You miss the will of God, you miss the satisfaction that it brings. And I'd say the other way, if you're here in this is you're supposed to be somewhere else. I'd rather you be there because I want you to be blessed of God, although I can't imagine why anybody would want to not be here, or God wouldn't want anybody to be here. but, But I sincerely, with all my heart, I want you to know that you're in the will of God, that you're in God's plan. In the will of God, you're in God's plan. This is what's important. Then you're in God's plan. And here... Uh, there's so many things to tell me, and I'm, I'm going to try to go through these scriptures. If you want them from me, I'll give them to you in some other form by email or something. But I'll just, I'll just mention one one place, Jeremiah 29, 11, that you all know so well. This is what it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and the future. That's God's plan for you. So always remember... Seek to make God's plan your plan. Choose God's plan for your plan, and that will take you to victory. I found this verse of scripture. Carol and I were reading, reading the Bible together. One of the mornings this week that we were reading, I don't know what morning it was. <clears throat> I've been reading for quite some time now in Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians, and moved on now to First Thessalonians and First Timothy, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. But I remembered something we'd read and, and went back and, and looked it up in Colossians. I, I, I thought as I read these verses again, you know, if, if, if somehow all the Bibles got destroyed and I could only have one piece, I'd be satisfied with the piece that has these verses on it, these verses right here on it. I'd be satisfied with that. I'd take that and hold on to that as God's word for me. That will lead me through everything. And, and, and there are places in God's Word like that. You, you may not know the whole Bible, know all about the whole Bible. That doesn't mean that you can't walk in God's finding. You take what you do know and what God does show you and walk in the revelation of that truth, and you will have victory. This is, this is what I found. I found Colossians. We had read it through, and we commented on it as we read it. But then I went back to find it again as I was, as I was preparing this. Because I remembered it, and here's what it says. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. I'm just going to read it to you just as the Scripture says it in the New International Version. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. I heard somebody say that this morning. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all, binds all these virtues together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. That's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And and, and if you were to lose, if all, if all the Bibles that we have, and I've got a bunch of them myself, and I'm sure you do too, if all the Bibles we have were to get destroyed, we could only have one piece of the Scripture that we choose to keep. This Scripture doesn't tell you how to be saved, but it tells you how to live your life as a child of God. And this should be This should be the only governing principles, bylaws, regulations, rules, whatever you want to call it. This should be the only guiding principles that anyone, any church would ever have to have to stay in harmony, to live in victory, and to live in the presence of God and the power of God. We don't have to write a a list of rules to spell out what's right and what's wrong. We can. It's done many times in many churches, many places. There are rules there that tell you where you can go, where you can't go, what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to say and how much you're supposed to give and everything else. There aren't any rules like that at First Assembly. We don't have this, but I think now I'm going to put this in our in our bylaws and say these are our rules right here. <laughs> this is our list of what you have to do. If you remember this church and anything comes up that has to be decided, this is the basis on which it will be decided right here. Because it says everything. It says it all. About living together in the body of Christ, living victoriously as a child of God, living in God's plan and God's purpose for you. Because this clearly explains it and says what it is. Turn in your Bible if you have it to Colossians. Colossians, that's over there. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's where it is. First and Second Thessalonians are after it, it's right in between. Philippians, and 1 Thessalonians. So turn in your Bible. I want you to read it with me as I read it. If you don't have the NIV, ESV is okay. It won't say exactly. It same, so, so closely. It won't matter. You'll see that. Any version you have is going to be very, very close to this. And this, I'm going to read it one more time so that you can follow me with it. And, and I'm talking to you now about God's plan for you. God's plan for you. This is it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Wow. Clothe yourselves, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them, binds all these virtues together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Now, folks. That's a message. That's a message. That's a message of truth and understanding and revelation. When we grasp that and arrive there, we have experienced the state that God wants us to be in for the fulfilling of His plan. The scripture says, do not be wise, do not be unwise, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here it is. And again, he says, try to discern what is the will of God for you. And you can discern it and you can know it. Because it is God's plan. God's plan is his will. His will is his plan. And we're to live in that state, in that place. So whatever you have today that keeps you from being there, lay it on this altar. Lay it on this altar. You've got something you're carrying in your spirit that's distressing you. It may be against someone very close to you. It could be against someone against your husband or your wife. It could be against your daughter or your son, or could be your daughter-in-law or your son-in-law. It could be somebody in your own family, a brother or a sister. It could be somebody that you just know and don't like and wish you didn't know them, but you do, so you need to do something about It, it could be any of that. But whatever it is that keeps you from being at this place that we just read about, Whatever it is that keeps you from being there, lay it on this altar today. Lay it on this altar and leave it there. And leave it there. Pastor, I just wish I could do that. How many times have you tried? You tried already. Right. Well, you counted them up. Well, I know you're really sincere because you counted it up. You're going to get to seven times seven and you're going to walk away and quit. So. <laughs> but I've tried, Lord. i got a list of the times i tried. I tried. I've been able to do it. Can't make it happen, Lord. I've tried 15 times by my own time. I'm going to tell you one simple thing. Here's what you need to do you need to try the 16th time. You need to try one more time to let God take it away from you. Let God take it away. Stand up with me right now, please. Everybody stand with me.